Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist and author and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director at our studio. This is a show about what matters most in our lives, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillments in this beautiful journey of life. Today, I will share the tip of the week with you about feelings of success and failure. And then I will answer some of your question, which you've asked about bipolar disorder. And then I will bring you two of the latest published research about depression being a cause for dementia and Alzheimer's disease and how a particular meditation can significantly reduce errors. Wouldn't that be nice? And then I chat with Jolie Dawn. Uh, she's the author of Empowered, Sexy, and Free and creator of the, of the Dare to Prosper Challenge, the largest women's prosperity meditation gathering online, attended by women in more than 50 countries. Um, she's the founder of Prosperity Queendom Inc., an online business training platform for spiritual entrepreneurs. And um, I'm positive you're going to have an enjoying uh, show with me today. So please subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast and connect with me through all of the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you have. Um, all of them through Dr. Fujian Zane. I'd love to hear from you. But first, here's the tip of the week. I've been working on the notion of success and failure. Both success and failure have a reality-based and a perceptual com component. When we intend on creating a result in our life, we visualize it, act toward implementing the result. If we manifest it, the result we said we were going to do, we call it a success. If the result does not match what we visualized previously, we declare it a failure. At times, the result we create might appear as a success to other people around us. It could match a society or an industry's measurement and standards. It could have been someone else's dream, so they see our result as a success. But if it doesn't match our previously intended vision, we feel a lack, a disappointment, and a shame. We might assume that we are a failure, less than, never good enough, or just enough, nothing better than enough, which still feels like a failure. 
there's a distinction between succeeding or failing on one task or project um, or holding on as an identity as a success or a failure. When um, someone assigns this type of an identity, such as I am a failure, after they succeed or fail at one project. Some wait for several results before they declare themselves as one of the other, right? Couple of failures, then I am an actual failure. Usually people wait for several results to get favorable feedback from others in the family and community before feeling like they are a success. Not just they succeeded on one project, but they are a success. Some only see themselves as a success when they meet the industry or the society's success standards. Some may never feel or state that they are a success, regardless of others holding them as a space of success. Failure takes a toll on people's emotional well-being. Some could be a success in the eye of others and yet see themselves as a total failure. Some suffer by only focusing on what they don't have while there's so much to be appreciative of. Some hold the fantasy that if all is not perfect, then it is considered a failure. Some expect to be successful and will not tolerate getting the result they want. Some think that they are doomed by failure since they're not smart enough, fast enough, pretty enough, just any enough. This week I experienced not achieving the result that I wanted only as a project that did not work among so many other ones that did. No other labels were necessary. The post-event analysis can be of how come didn't work? Why didn't it work? What was not done for it to create the result? What was missing so that the result was not gained? How did it impact others? What did I learn from it? How can it be authentically shared and explained to others? And what can be done in the future so I don't create the same result? What skills I didn't have and are really needed for next time as I'm doing this project so that I can create success? These are the questions that you actually need to ask yourself instead of labeling yourself consistently, right? What didn't work? What was not done? What was missing that I got this result instead of the one I wanted? How did it impact myself and others who were part of the project? And what did I learn? What was learned out of all of this? And how can it be authentically shared with others and explained to others? Most of the time what we do, we try to lie about it, minimize it, excuse it, justify it, somehow do something with it instead of just saying, yeah, this project didn't work. And uh, explain it in the way of answering the questions we just talked about and what can be done in the future. And the skills are actually looking at the future versus the past and getting caught because most of the people who go through that, they keep getting caught in the past instead of moving toward the future. So feelings of compassion, acceptance, and love can be offered toward our own experiences of disappointment, loss, embarrassment, possible social failure, and a social humiliation. Focusing on all 
that has worked in our life, our accomplishments, our successful results and projects, who we have as assets and resources in our lives and our strengths, focusing on the present moment and the day-to-day -day gifts instead of the past that has already been viewed, analyzed, and learned from, focusing on future goals where all that we've learned can be put to good use for more observational integrational skills to set intentional goals. Get my book, Life Reset, the Awareness Integration Path to create the life you want. Thank you. so much for asking your questions and then I try to respond to them in the ask me segment. Um, you have asked about bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is a mental illness that causes dramatic shifts in a person's mood so it's considered a mood disorder. The energy and the ability to think clearly goes away and people with bipolar experiences high and low mood known as mania or hypomania and then depression which differs from a typical ups and downs of most daily aspects of the people experience. The average of onset is about 25, but it can also occur in teens or more commonly in childhood. The condition affects men and women equally with about 2.8% of the US population diagnosed with bipolar disorder and nearly 83% of that cases are classified as severe. If it is left untreated, bipolar disorder usually worsens. However, with a good treatment plan, including psychotherapy, medication, and a healthy lifestyle, a regular schedule and early identification of symptoms, most people live well with the condition and can be very functional. There are four types of bipolar, bipolar one, which has the mania, and then it has the depression, and if it's not treated, both the sides of the mania or the depression can create psychosis. Or you have bipolar 2, which you have hypomania, which just feels more like agitation um, and anger, um, and then deep depression. And then you have cyclothymia, which is not as severe, but it does have the cycles throughout the month or throughout the year. And then it's unspecified, which has its own characteristic, and sometimes it has the rapid cycling, which they call bipolar rapid cycling, which was within one day, you could go really up and down. The causality, as far as uh, the research has shown at this point, is genetic. Another component is high level of stress and trauma, and then brain structure and function. Now, brain scans cannot diagnose bipolar disorder, yet researchers have identified subtle differences in the average size or activation of some brain structures in people with bipolar disorders. So what can help? Um, medication, such as mood stabilizers, antipsychotic medications, and to a lesser extent, antidepressants help. And you can get that from a psychiatrist. 
psychotherapy works. Uh, many of the cognitive behavioral, family focus, um, awareness integration theory, all of those help uh, because sometimes the, uh, the person needs to really monitor and find out exactly what the symptoms are, how it impacts them, and how they can manage those symptoms when the cycles come in, how to manage themselves. If there was a trauma or a stress in their life, how to manage the trauma and stress and um, heal themselves in a sense and manage themselves throughout their life because this is a lifetime condition. Stress management strategies, which you could also get that through psychotherapy, like education and recognition of the episodes, early symptom, and calling the psychiatrist immediately as the symptoms should begin so that they don't go through all of the cycles. And then complementary health approaches are so important. Um, exercise, aerobic exercises, meditation, um, some, for some people, spirituality, um, and, and appropriate nutrition really, really supports to regulate the chemistry of someone who has bi bipolar beside their mood elevation and up and down. And usually if sleep patterns, um, eating patterns, and uh, energy and exercise patterns are not handled appropriately, it can actually ignite some um, more stress and then therefore ignite another cycle. I hope that was useful for you. for you today. They were um, the latest in the Science Daily and I wanted to share them with you. The first one is the connection between depression and Alzheimer's disease. Epidemiological data have long linked depression with Alzheimer's disease. Um, neurodegenerative disease characterized by progressive dementia that affects nearly 6 million Americans now, a new study identifies common genetic factors in both depression and uh, the Alzheimer's disease. Importantly, the researchers found that depression played a causal role in Alzheimer's disease development. And those with worse depression experienced a faster decline in memory. This study appears in Biological Psychiatry and published by Elsevier. The authors performed a genome-wide association study, a technique that scans the entire genome for areas of commonality associated with particular conditions. So um, the genome-wide association study identified 28 brain proteins and 75, tra 75 transcripts. The message that encode proteins that were associated with depression among those, 46 transcripts and seven proteins were also associated with the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. The data suggests a shared genetic basis for the two diseases, which may drive the increased risk for Alzheimer's disease associated with depression. This relationship raises the question of whether treatment of depression can mitigate the risk for dementia. We identified genes that may explain the relationships between depression and dementia here in this study. Such genes may be important treatment targets for both depression and reduction of dementia risk. The cost of ineffectively treated de depression continues to mount. 
there has been increasing evidence that major depressive disorders increase the risk of Alzheimer's disease, but little insight into this relationship. This innovative study, which links genetic risk mechanism to molecular changes in the brain, provides the clearest link to date to supporting the hypothesis that depression plays causal role in the biology of Alzheimer's disease. This does not mean that if one has an episode of a depression, that dementia is inevitable result. Instead, it suggests that ineffectively treated depression may aggravate the biology of Alzheimer's disease, potentially hastening the onset of symptoms and increasing the rate of functional decline. So if you are experiencing depression, if you're, um, you know, please get help. Um, there are a lot of different ways at this time of treating depression, obviously psychotherapy, uh, the model that I created, the theory awareness integration, Many of the research we've done, uh, they're published research that reduces depression around 76% and anxiety around 64%. So it's important for you to find the way that works for you. Any of the treatments that are out there that work for you um, and get treated by it. Uh, psychotherapy, as I said, there are um, medication management. Uh, they are uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation or electrical stimulation. Um, there are a lot of psycho psychedelic research that is now being done on depression. So if you think that your depression is more genetic and chemical, then in utilizing those plus psychotherapy, or if it's more of existential traumas that have happened and you know circumstances, the life situations that are igniting the depression, please get support, get help, because the, obviously the depression is also uh, finding itself to igniting some of their genes with uh, different types of dementia, including Alzheimer's. Second research, how meditation can help you make fewer mistakes. Meditating just once proves to make a difference. If you're forgetful or make mistakes when in a hurry, a new study from Michigan State University, the largest of its kind to date, found that meditation could help you to become less error prone. The research published in Brain Science tested how open monitoring meditation or meditation that focuses awareness on feelings, thoughts, and sensations as they unfold in one's mind and body uh, altered the brain activity in a way that suggests increased error recognition. People's interest in meditation and mindfulness is outpacing what science can prove in terms of effects and, and benefits. But it's amazing that we are able to see how one session of guided meditation can produce changes to brain activity in non-meditators. The findings suggest that different forms of meditations can have different neurocognitive effects, and researchers explain that there's little research about how open monitoring uh, meditation impacts, error cognition. Some forms of meditation have, um, you focus on a single object commonly your breath, but open monitoring meditation, the one that you actually focus on your thought process, uh, your feeling, the sensations that are showing up and you're kind of like letting them go and watch the next and the next. It has you tune inward, pay attention to everything that's going on in your body. And the goal is to sit quietly, pay close attention to where the mind travels, 
without getting too caught up in the scenery. Researchers recruited more than 200 participants to test how open monetary meditation affected how people detect and respond to errors. The participants who had never meditated before were taken through a 20 minute open monetary meditation exercise while the researchers measured brain activity through um, the electroencephalograph uh, or EEG. Then they completed a computerized distraction test. The EEG can measure brain activity at the millisecond level. So we got precise measures of neural activity right after mistakes compared to correct responses. A certain neural signal occurs about half a second after an error called the error positivity, which is linked to conscious error recognition. We found that the strength of the signal is increased in the meditators relative to control subjects. While the meditators didn't have immediate improvements to actual task performance, the researchers' findings offer a promising window into the potential of sustained medication. These findings are a strong demonstration of what just 20 minutes of meditation can do to enhance the brain's ability to detect and pay attention to mistakes. It makes us feel more confident in what mindfulness meditation might really be capable of for performance and daily functioning right there in the moment. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Fujan Zain, and I am so excited to have Julie Dawn with me. She is the author of Empowered, Sexy, and Free, and creator of the Dare to Prosper Challenge, the largest women's prosperity meditation gathering online, attended by women more than, from more than 50 countries. She specializes in helping women awaken their prosperity, consciousness, embody their deepest truth, and reclaim personal freedom and creativity. An intuitive business coach and writer, she currently contributes to Entrepreneur Magazine, and she, was, uh, she has written six best-selling self-published books. She's the founder of Prosperity Queendom. I love it. Queendom, an online business training platform for spiritual entrepreneurs. Jolie has had thousands of hours of leadership and spirituality training in various modalities, including hypnosis, unconscious reprogramming, kundalini yoga, uh, theta healing, reiki, and transmutation meditation. Welcome, Jolie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you from Hawaii, my, my mm. dream island. I love Hawaii. So share with us what is it to be living there? Oh, it's a holy and spiritual experience. It's, you know what I say to my friends? It's just like, there's no hard edges. For me, getting in my car and going to the little market, it's just so lush and beautiful and alive. And I feel so connected to what we call Shakti, this feminine energy, this island is like the mother. And she's a, she's a representation of prosperity. I look out at my fruit trees and the sun is shining and it's just a true, true pr pr privilege to, to give to this land, to love this land, to be a guest on this land. And your book helps the rest of us who are not in that land 
and just won't be able to feel it all, to get to feel it all and to go through the process. I really enjoyed your book. Um, you go through, uh, you know, different types of journeys and how and take the readers with you and give them great tips and you move from one layer to another. Um, and you've gone through so many of your own um, experiences uh, through different, I, I guess, Eastern and Western and all different types of experiences. Um, first of all, what got you to want to create this type of uh, a connection and a network between women from, as you said, like 50 countries that are coming together uh, to, cre to create the queendom? <laughs> I love that word. Uh, what brought you to, to open your hands and arms and heart to be able to do that? And what, what does that entail? Mm, yes. You know, I started having having my awakening journey in my early 20s, and it was out of desperation. It was out of being in so much emotional pain that I couldn't see myself sustaining this life on this planet with the current tools that I had. And I had come off of being a young woman at 20 years old when my dad made the very permanent decision to take his own life. And it was 100% because of the, the financial situation that he was in. He looked at all of the debt. It was in the 2008 economic collapse. His business was hit hard. Our family finances were hit really hard. And he made that very, it spun him out in a mental health crisis. And so at 20 years old, I lost my dad very traumatically. And essentially I lost both my parents at the same time because my mom, sweet woman, she never recovered from that, from losing her husband. And she did not want to be alive on the planet without him. And so she was alive for nine more years and she struggled with a lot of depression and addiction. And it was, I became caretaker for my mom. And so that was my entry point into my twenties, into what was adult life, which was a lot of family emergencies and trauma and things I had to show up for. So there was a maturity that happened in me very young. And as I started having, having my awakening process, I started to realize what this life actually was. And if there is a winning at this human experience called being in this particular avatar at this time in history, what is the win here? Because I knew I didn't feel like winning. I felt crushed underneath emotional pain. I felt like I had no places to, to have an outlet for grief. I had no tools in processing grief. My mother was not modeling it for me. My family wasn't modeling it for me. We were all just frozen and trying to make do with our reality and pretend everything was normal. And I got introduced to meditation and how to actually sit with myself in silence and develop a presence practice for life, how to feel emotional pain and to communicate to my psyche and my nervous system that emotional pain does not equal death and I'm safe to feel this. And as I started to start to, yeah, I started to understand the rules of the game. How do I win at being here? Like, what is the best case scenario of this life? As far as I know, there is no turning back. I'm here. I'm not going to make the decision of, of ending this thing early. How do I give this life, the creators that made me the, like the privilege and the honor of living this expression fully. And what I started to see was the codes and the understanding of reality creation. I actually do get to create how much I enjoy this place. I do get to say how much money I create, the prosperity around me, the life enjoyment, the happiness. And as I started to understand that for myself, I started 
started to live it. And as I started to live it, I started to see I'm a futurist in this way. And I started to see like, what is the version of this world that we're in right now that actually works for everyone? where everybody gets to follow their dreams. Everybody gets to experience happiness and prosperity. Every mother gets to feed her child. Like, what is that? And I feel like there's too few people dreaming that and having that intention of how can this work for every human being on the planet? And I started to ask myself these bigger existential questions in my naive early 20 idealism and I started to see that the, the future is the resurgence of feminine leadership, not from a, we need to beat men, not from a competition of how can we do this better than men? We absolutely need men. And I want to see women who have that natural capacity in their heart to care for the other, to live in the, in the true patterns and the systems of community and communal living where we do care for the other. How do we get those women in big board meeting rooms where policies are being created, where systems for humanity and people and governments are being created? And I started to see that that was part of my mission is awakening the female spirit to letting her know she does have a seat in those rooms. She does have a seat at those tables and we need her, her love, her activism, her care, her intuition, that feminine returning to the mother returning to this earth, the essence of the mother is what I started to feel is just my passion and my drive. My Dharma is to awaken that feminine spirit. So she may know her leadership, her prosperity, her power. And it starts within us first. Beautiful. Yes. You had all the makings of continuing, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, uh, drug addiction and all of it. And it seems like at one point, um, you decided that's not the path I'm going to take and I'm going to shift something for myself. And then from that, I'm going to reconnect with um, other people and bring their power out. Um, and what, in your book, um, which is called Everyone, Empowered, Sexy and Free, Discover Your Unique Brilliance and Dare to Be the creatrix? Cre cre How do you say that? <laughs> it's a creatrix. She who <laughs> creates her life. Creatrix. Creatrix of your life. Um, you talk about three stages that you mapped out um, as a template for yourself as a seven-year cycle of development. And then you talk about ages zero to seven, which your power, your core is fear beliefs about personal power safety attachment belongings and acceptance and then you share this the next seven which is seven to fourteen uh, was about femininity your core fear beliefs about femininity womanhood and emotional expression and then the third stage 14 to 21 which is the freedom and your core fear beliefs about the places in the your place in the world your identity, creative self-expression, and your self-efficacy. Can you share a little bit about um, uh, how you came up with those the three mm -hmm. stages of life and how was your experience in them? Mm -hmm. Yes, it was inspired by my devotion to a body of work in a book called The Gene Keys. And in the hologenetic profile, there's these stages of development. And as I, as I started to research, I had heard about the 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 seven-year cycle and many different texts before, and I, I name them and credit them in the book, I started to realize if we understand a framework for how we developed, 
the core emotional makeup. The first seven years is all about physiology. Is my body safe? It is the, is the development of the core of our nervous system and the core of our self-esteem. And that second year cycle is when a lot of women are hitting puberty, not everybody, but this is generally the age range of where our femininity comes online. And was it safe to be a woman? Was it safe to have our cycle and our period? How was that received by the world? And the third stage is when we're, we're creating our self-confidence and our belief. And is it safe for me to go out into the world and shine? And so I, I, I mapped these in the books. You can start to have this journey back to the roots of your being, because this book is all about identifying, like, what are your triggers? What are those things that get you in a panic and keep you up at night? Whether you tend to be more on the side of the anxious and maybe feeling an anxiety in your chest or some panic or worrisome thoughts or depressed where you extended periods of grief or anything in between. We all have our triggers. We all have patterns that come up and it robs us of our emotional freedom. So if we travel back into our psyche and look at ages zero to seven, the first time we even had any slight awareness that we were here on planet earth was completely connected to the mother. Our experience was not separate from hers, but in essence, we were her. And so her nervous system was the first vibration of earth that we felt. So we actually get to tell the truth. Like, what was my mother going through when I was in the womb? What did she believe about the world? What did she believe about her pregnancy? Did she feel safe? Did she feel supported? Because it's all a chemical structure and makeup. The signals from mom are going into womb and we're, we're starting to develop a sense of being, a sense of life of ourselves. And it's not even until about age th three, two and three, that we start to see ourselves as separate from mom, where the separation of like, oh, here's my separate body starts to happen. And so that first emotional development range is how you free your body how you free your body. Again, this is all a chemical system happening. Our triggers is because it is stored in our body. So I'd ask you, the, the listener, what has thrown you off your center lately? Maybe it was a conversation with a family member, your mom. Maybe it was a conversation with a spouse or a partner. Maybe it was opening up a bill that you weren't expecting and feeling your whole fight or flight nervous system kick on. And let me tell you a secret that many of you probably probably already know, but this may be new to some of you, which is to free your nervous system is the true path of freeing yourself in this life. So get freedom from the automatic chemical response and triggers that live in the body. We're starting to see so many more of these modalities coming online, like tapping and EMDR, which is rapid eye movement to actually go back to where that trauma originated in the body. And there's really two core fears that I talk about in the book, fear of falling and fear of loud noise. And everything that triggers us can go back to the simplicity of those two primal fears, whether we're hearing something we don't want to hear, uh, loud noise is like, somebody's yelling at me, or I'm listening to something I don't want to hear. I don't want to see, or the fear of falling is like that scarcity trigger. Oh my gosh, I don't have enough money to pay that bill. Oh my gosh, who am I in the world? Is my purpose big enough? It's like the feeling of falling. And those are the two things that if you see a baby cry as a newborn, one of those two things happen, fear of falling, not being picked up and a loud noise will trigger a baby instantly. And then the second stage of emotional development is 
starts to look at your expression of femininity. And there's so many beautiful and diverse expressions of femininity. And the central question of that, that piece of the chapter asks, do I feel safe to be a woman in this world to feel my emotions, to feel my emotions? We, we live in a culture and a society where intellect was way more prioritized and celebrated in school over intuition and emotion. How smart can you be? How driven can you be? And essentially women have been taught to emulate the masculine as the priority of achievement. And this, this section really gives space to the reader and invitation to the reader to identify that part of herself that may be wanting to be expressed, her intuition and to feel her feelings because we all know that which is not expressed, that which is repressed will only continue to play out as unconscious patterns. And then, yeah, going into this third piece is like, do I feel successful in the world? What is my relationship to my own success and confidence? Because at at that age range, the last one, 14 to 21 is when we start to hear this conversation in school, like you're getting prepared for the real world. You're graduating high school, you're going into college. And there's so much comparison of who we are in relation to the other. Who am I in relation to my classmates? What is this ranking system? And this ranking system stays with us. of like, whether I believed I was smart or not, I never believed I was smart. I never believed I was a writer. I didn't feel particularly good at school. I was not good at tests, barely passed the SATs. I was much more of a creative. I was much more of an artist and intuitive and a healer. And it took me years and years and years before I actually felt smart because in that system, I didn't. Um, some, uh, a, a chapter in your book talks about ego and, um, you talk about, um, you know, most people talk about dismantling their ego because they're caught into it. And then you create this beautiful contract with your ego that I was so sweet that I read it and I'm like, yes, I love this way of contracting. And if I may, it's in your book. So if I may read it, she says, everyone, I, Jolie Dong, unconditionally love you, my ego. You have been doing exactly the job I asked you to do. So thank you. Thank you for your perspective. I know you've been acting out of love for the best of your ability, but now it's time for an upgrade. I love this upgrade because our outdated terms are impacting my quality of life. And I want to form a tight partnership. So I propose a relationship within which you work in synergistically, I can't talk today <laughs> with my higher moan. I'm getting tongue-tied. Um, so the beauty of what I was reading in your book is um, there's such a delicate essence of um, uniting um, with different parts of you. You know, you talk about in the journalings, you talk about how to um, write different types of letters and loving letters to uh, parts of you. Most people get into a fight within themselves. There's a part of them that is constantly telling another part, don't do it, you can't do it, or they're scolding them, or there's all of these negative conversations that they're having. And um, the way that you are uh, presenting in your book is reconnecting with different parts of you in such a loving way um, and upgrading, and I love that word, that is upgrading from one essence that you appreciate, you hold gratitude, you, um, you honor, not as if this was something wrong, 
that was there, but you honor different parts of you, even different thought process, different belief systems, different experiences that have happened uh, from a perspective of, yeah, it was there for a purpose and it did its purpose. And thank you for you know coming to my life, um, creating whatever you needed to do, the lessons I needed to learn. And I got it and I learned it and it's time to move. And there's a different set of standards, a set of you know behaviors and thought processes that I would like to contribute and, and take on and, and open the path to that. Um, so share a little bit about that part. Mm. <laughs> thank you thank you for reading that section I'm having this moment of like it is so cool that my book is being read right now on a podcast it just feels like this very monumental moment in my career so thank you so much for that I truly feel it I think this is so so amazing that 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 piece of my expression is now being seen by others and yes, this contract with your ego and being able to talk to and understand different parts of yourself. As you said, I, I wrote this contract with my ego. How do I be in connection with my ego such that she serves me versus me being run by her? Because I can see the predictable future if I let my ego and my identity of so much identification and attachment with this material world and attachment to winning and to beating and to achieving, it doesn't actually lead me to my feminine bliss. It doesn't leave, lead me to an activated, juicy, expansive, blissful life. It leads me to this never ending path of achievement where there's always another carrot. There's always another next step on the ladder. There's always somewhere to be other than right here. And so this chapter of this getting to know your ego and being in right relationship with your ego is I understand that part of this experience of the human journey is that I come with an identity that feels separate from myself like an ego. And this ego and this part of identity, it wants significance and it wants power. And we see that this, this ego has what it's done on the planet. Like there's been a serious impact from people operating in ego and my ego will always be a part of me, but instead of resisting it or shutting it down or, or feeling like I'm not spiritual, if I have an ego, I get to know my ego and where she gets really tricky. I do. I have to, I named this thing in myself. If I could be perfectly candid, candid is toxic ambition. I'm like, Jolie, I know that you've got so much ambition. And if that ambition is driving you to be away from the present moment and is robbing you from a sense of achievement and celebration, now it's got toxic. Now you're not actually enjoying your creations. You're just always moving on to the next thing. And so this book is an invitation to get into relationship with the different parts of yourselves, just as you brought up those stages of development, get in touch with your inner little girl, have a conversation with her, get in touch with your 14 year old who just got her cycle. What did she feel? What does she need to hear from you? You are the secure parent to your inner child. That is a quote from Dr. Summer Nicole that I just love so much. I get to be the secure parent for my inner child. I get to understand how my ego operates and not to be a victim to her, not be trapped by her. She gets to come along with this journey, but she's not the driver. And then these, the journal prompts of getting to talk to myself and get to understand myself is this whole book of empowered, sexy, and free invites the reader into a relationship with herself. And it's very fundamental, practical tools on her spirituality and her self-awareness path for her to start to get to understand that relationship to self. Yes. 
And as you were talking about that, um, there's a, also another section in your book that you talk about reclaiming sexual innocence. Can you share mm -hmm. what you mean by sexual innocence? Oh my gosh. Yes. This was such a journey for me. I grew up in a type of Christianity and a type of religion that was all about women specifically, it wasn't really meant for the men. The women was all of this value was put on virginity and whatever you do, here's the rules of sexuality. Don't do it until you're married. That was the only framework in the rules that I had. And that wasn't ever going to be my path because I wasn't planning on getting married young. I am now, I'll be 33 this year. I'm still not married. And that's by choice. I wanted to create my career, my service first before I did motherhood. And that just wasn't going to be part of my path. Of course, this like wild, naturally very like sexual kinky girl gets born into this Christian family where the rules are don't do it. And so it's just like was pushing on this re repression. And the feeling that I grew up with was I am so bad. I am so naughty and I'm so wrong. And so my sexual expression would only come out when I was feeling bad and dirty and wrong, like blacked out drunk. I thought here was my thing. I thought that women that were having sex with their boyfriends consciously in the light of day, not under the influence, like those were the women who were sexually promiscuous because they were doing it consciously. And because I was doing it and like not fully there and not fully present, like, oops, I woke up and the sexual thing happened that like, I would be more forgiven by God because I wasn't doing it consciously. It was just like an oopsie. If you didn't take responsibility, then it wasn't yours. <laughs> Totally. And so I was like in this thing where like, God's mad at me, my desires are wrong. And it created a lot of twisted experiences and very harmful experiences for myself that took me a lot of years to unwind and to heal. And maybe for some people, it is so their truth to have that be wait till marriage. For me, it just wasn't. And it created a lot of psycho emotional damage for me that I got to undo. And so the innocence was I am allowed to be a sexual being. I am allowed to pursue sexual connection with whomever I, I desire that are in alignment with my value system and my boundaries and my God and my creators celebrate that. I am on the same team and I feel like a very effective strategy in controlling people and controlling women is to control their sexual energy. And I believe that there were powers that be that wanted that, that was part of the design. And a huge part of freeing myself was freeing my sex. Yes, I think this is a subject that many, many women go through, regardless of whether it's the religion who um, or belief systems, families, societal belief systems that holds and separates them, um, you know, uh, between the the concept of Madonna whore syndrome, whether you're you're always going to be this Madonna, that everything's going to be just, you know, you're a mother or that if you were going to experience your sexuality in a free way, then, you know, it's not okay. And it's, it's, um, it's shameful. It's a sin and you're not supposed to do it. And then obviously a lot of females and male get uh, sexually um, violated, um, mm -hmm. abused um, in, in many formats. And the concept of feminine sexuality becomes, um, becomes, an issue versus allowing it to be free, which much more than ever a male sexuality is. It's male sexuality, a lot of the cultures and religious allow it to be much more freer as, as if it's, there's a sense of entitlement 
into that spectrum where for female, it doesn't appear to be the sense of entitlement. It appears to be a, a space of service. Like it needs to be a service versus a female having the ability just to experience the innocent sexuality that is uh, that is real, that is supposed to be there. And this, you know, it was given to the body because it was supposed to be there. So therefore the body experiences it. Um, so I totally agree that the, uh, the essence of seeing it from an innocent place, uh, an innocent to me, as I was reading, it is more like it's natural. It is a natural way of being, and it isn't just there for a service whether it's a service of having somebody else enjoy it or the service of uh, being a mother or, you know, it's not only at, that, at the service of that. It is, it is by itself a space of pleasure, a space of, um, you know, enjoyment and a space of self-care and all of that together. Um, and then you talk about soul contract. Yeah, you not only you were um, kind of having a conversation with your ego, but then in another sense, you are also having a conversation with your higher self and with, uh, you know, with your soul and all of that. So explain, first of all, what is the distinct difference that you experience between the concept of higher self as you, as, you know, you see it or the soul self that you kind of uh, allude to versus the ego part of you that you were conversing with? Mm -hmm. Beautiful question. You know, when I wrote this book, I sat down on my bed with a big sticky note and colored pens, and I wrote feverishly of all the things that helped me understand life and helped me experience my true power and freedom and my sexiness, empowered, sexy, and free. And all of these very key pieces of understanding that I picked up from my spiritual mentors and my teachers along the way, whether it was landmark or spiritual gurus or meditation or the yogic path, both Eastern and Western. And I just, what had me really feel solid in my own spiritual journey and understanding that I am not a victim to anybody, you know, it was really easy to have a story that I was a victim to my parents. Look at all that they did to me. Look at the neglect, look at, you know, two people who had dealt with addiction issues my entire life. Look at how my childhood was robbed. And when I started to understand, and I'm so happy that I had this awakening while my mother was still alive, because I got to feel so peaceful in the way I was able to show up for her as a daughter and not carry resentment to her for her last years. And with the soul contract is my belief system that every single person, especially the closest ones to you, like mom, dad, caretaker, siblings, that kind of thing, spouse, these people we're already karmically decided much before you entered this game as your key players. If you were thinking about the designers in heaven form and you're about to take birth on the planet, there was a very specific setup with all of these key players and how exactly they were going to support you in fulfilling your mission. As far as I know, the whole meaning of life, the point of being in this human experience is to grow and to fulfill a very particular mission of the soul. There's a reason for being here. I don't believe in the accident of life. I believe that it has been orchestrated and divinely guided. So when I got to look at my mom and be like, all right, mom, like you were the one that my soul needed the perfect fit. And what a blessing that you said yes to me. And my mother was an amazing mother. She had her issues for sure, bless her heart, but she really loved me. And love goes a long way. It really does. And I knew how wanted I was and that I was her baby girl that she dreamt about for decades. She was 40 when she had me. 
And so if we start to, and you can see if this resonates for you, does it, for the listeners here, if this resonates for you, maybe it's something you'd want to use in your life. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, but to start to look around and be like, what is this karmic relationship? What is this contract that I had with the soul of this person, especially the ones that trigger you, especially the ones that ruffle your feathers and push your buttons, whether it's your cousin at Thanksgiving dinner or your sibling, what, whoever activates that trigger in you that you haven't been able to heal. That is just a, a mountain of data for you to get to understand yourself because that person under my belief system, it's, it's designed, they are designed to be there to be that exact reflection. And that's oftentimes what it is. It's just like holding up a mirror of a version of yourself that you don't necessarily want to see. You don't want to see impatience. You don't want to see hostile daughter. You don't want to see stingy spouse in yourself. And so when that person holds up the mirror by their very existence, you get to see yourself. So the invitation of this chapter around soul contracts is start to get to see the intention of the players of the game of your life. Beautiful. Everyone, Empowered, Sexy, and Free by Jolie Dawn. Jolie, we have one minute. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you really want our listeners and viewers to know about mm. you, about your, your journey, and about the book? Oh, I just appreciate the opportunity so much. It's a, such a surreal moment for me to be here on a podcast talking about my book and that people are reading and thousands of downloads are happening and that this book is really taking form. And I just really want to honor and appreciate my publisher, New World Library from a gal that had only self-published books and didn't get picked up for many years that this publisher believed in me and negotiated a deal where this book is now being sold in Target. It's being sold on Amazon and I'm getting to be featured by amazing, incredible women like you. So thank you for reading my book. Thank you for giving me time today to speak and sharing me with your audience. And I just feel so blessed in this moment that this, this is my life. This is my creation. This is what I get to do with my day. Yes, there's this, um, as I was going through your book, um, what you just shared, um, the essence of the joy and gratitude um, and the freedom of experiencing this with this kind of like just, um, um, it's an, un, the word shows up for me as this unwoven love, which is just like, it doesn't have a string. It, the, the word unconditional doesn't show up for me. It's, um, it's like a, a love that just doesn't have any strings attached to it. So it's, um, it's just a free love. It's a free love that shows up. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> you know, like, a, like a child um, excitement and the wonder and the wow that shows up with that kind of love. Um, so this is the experience of the book, everyone. So definitely get the book, Empowered, Sexy, and Free. Discover your unique brilliance and dare to be the creatrix of your life by Jolie Dawn. It was beautiful to have you, Jolie. Thank you. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>